Hey everyone, I'm Jessica Bailey, and this is Her Voice at the Table. I don't know about everybody else, but I feel like one minute I was sorting Halloween candy in my son's trick-or-treat bag, stashing all the Almond Joys for his Nana, and then suddenly every Instagram post I scroll through screams that I should be decorating my Christmas tree and wrapping presents. Even if you're not on social media, you can probably tell by all the decorations and lights and displays that are going up in stores and restaurants, as well as the cued Christmas movies on Netflix, that the holiday season is upon us. And even if it does seem like the quintessential American holiday of Thanksgiving is getting bulldozed by its more commercialized brethren, many of us are preparing to gather at our tables with family and friends this week to share an iconic meal filled with culture and tradition. Whether you're team Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or you're a happy everything kind of person, the one thing all of these celebrations share is food. The dishes, the flavors, the aromas, the relationship dynamics, and the memories. In the spirit of the holidays, we are super excited to bring you a fun chat with our friend and colleague, Liesl Mayerson, who teaches an intriguing senior-level English course called Foodie Lit and wrote this month's blog post, Finding Her Voice at the Table. Our co-host, Kate Shank, joined me and Liesl to discuss the cool things she's doing in the classroom with her seniors around this universal topic of food. The conversation explores what she's learned from teaching this class about her own relationship with food and what she's looking forward to indulging in at her own Thanksgiving table this year. I'm sure many of our listeners didn't even realize there's a whole genre of literature inspired by food beyond cookbooks. And get ready, you're even going to learn what tasting academically means and how to do this at home. This is a fun one, y'all. So let's get to the conversation. Hello. Hello. I'm here today. Welcome Welcome to Her Voice at the the Table. table. Today, Kate and I are thrilled to welcome our friend and colleague, Liesl, to the table. Hi, Liesl. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Liesl, would you kind of give us an idea of what Foodie Lit is as a course? So I love that you asked this question. This is a question when I say I teach Foodie Lit, everyone says, what is that? Um, So (laughs) I think it's really good that you asked that. Um, So ours is a class where we look at literature um, that has different intersections with food. Um, as a way to look at a lens towards greater truths in the world. Foodie Lit is a little unusual. It's not like, you know, the typical class for seniors. So when you inherited the class, how did you make it your own? Like, what did you know that you needed to include in a Foodie Lit class to put your special spin on it? Well, the timing was pretty perfect. Um, So I come from a long line of foodies. Our family, that's a love language. It's everywhere we are. Um, And so there's that piece. But then when we all got sent home for pandemic and we're spending time at home, um, I couldn't travel, uh, which is a big part of our family culture. Um, And so I really immersed myself in food literature. Um, And this is not knowing that I was going to teach the class, um, but I spent about two years just completely immersed in food literature. And um, um, I uh, was reading everything and I had all these thoughts and my poor family um, <laughs> just got to hear all about my analysis of food literature and all these different pieces. And then out of nowhere, this class offering that came like to destiny. me. It, it felt like the universe was yeah. uh, playing a hand on it. So, What books specifically struck you? Like, which ones did you know I need to bring these into the class? So I had uh, read Crying in H Mart, and it was not on the um, on the syllabus when I entered. And so I thought this one just has to come in, and it grew into something even more uh, with the girls that we're teaching. So can you tell us a little bit about 
kind of a basic overview of the story and then tell us what an H-Mart is. So Crying in H-Mart is a book by Michelle Zahner. It is a memoir where she is exploring past as she is in the process of very raw and personal grief for her mother. Um, Her mother uh, has passed away and she's going back and looking and um, reprocessing and creating a new narrative framework around that. Um, H-Mart is um, where she keeps going. It has a spiritual sense for her um, because it is where she is able to go and connect with these memories of her mother and connect with her um, Korean side of her identity. And um, it's just, it's a beautiful book and a beautiful um, reframing of that. Uh, because experience. H-Mart's our national, it's a national mm-hmm. chain, right? And we it's have, a Korean grocery store. Yep, we, uh, we our family shops at the one right up in uh, Carrollton. And almost every major town, you have a H-Mart or a Comart nearby. Um, and so it's worth looking and finding. What a fun field trip opportunity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, we get often requests, hey, can we go to uh, HMART all together? And I think we're going to probably do a Saturday meetup up there. So. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I want to go. Yep. What was the theme? What did you see in Crying in HMART? These are teenage students. How do they connect to that? We, um, so it, it, Went in directions I did not anticipate the first year I taught it. I teach seniors, which is a wonderful level to teach, but it's also a really interesting um, year for them emerging into adulthood, into a different level of responsibility. A lot of them next year um, in our student population will go far away from their families, leave their mothers. And so there is this, um, while there's the grief of Zahner very truly losing her mom um, in terrible circumstances and crying in HMART, um, there's seniors, though, do a lot of them relate to the sense of um, loss that's coming, where they will move away out out of their family of origins home and um, experience that grief. And so there's a pretty profound connection for some of them. Um, And I know last year, several of my students um, ended up co-reading the book for our class with their mothers by the end of it um, because they needed their mom to understand what they were feeling about it. Um, And and the place where she gets sad is Mm -hmm. in H-Mart where her mom grocery shopped. Yep. And so so the food is the connection. The food is the connection. And and it's, there's profound uh, connections to food all throughout. It's a lot of fun. They relate to it in beautiful ways. I mean, to your point, Kate, Foodie Lit is a unique class and something that is special. I'm curious to know why the students are drawn to a course like that or what or what you find kind of brings them into the classroom or choosing a class like Foodie Lit. That's one of my favorite parts about the class. We get such a range of reasons that students are there. Um, We get students that are planning on having a career in food or food writing um, somewhere in there uh, who are very serious. They come in knowing a lot. We have had students that are um, borderline professional bloggers about food that enter the class. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have kids that uh, or students that look at it and they think, I like food. Uh, That sounds like fun. (laughs) And so you get the full range. And the cool part of that is everyone brings their perspectives and they um, are able to grow and teach each other and give um, lenses that maybe they don't have on the other side of the table. Uh, and so it's just been a really, um, it's a, fun to sit back and watch that dynamic. This It reminds me of what you mentioned in the blog, which about um, one of the first lines was, the beauty of food is that we all have a relationship with it, which I, which I was struck by, because similar to what you said, students might just take the class because they're like, I like food or I eat food, right? Um, but also, um, y- you talk a lot about how food can be this gateway to talk about self-identity and relationship dynamics and things that can be kind of not always easy to address or reflect on. So can you speak more to that? Also, I um, 
Exactly right. Everyone has a relationship with food. I have people in my life outside of the school that, um, you know, we're doing this in a classroom and we're educators, but this is a class that truly anyone could take and be interested in. We um, have uh, all have a relationship. We all have knowledge about food. We all have experiences and stories related to food. Um, in any literature class, we're sort of looking at lenses to make sense of the world around us. How do we build frameworks that help us process? Um, to me, that's sort of the purpose of literature. And with food on top of that, um, you come in an expert. You all have, everyone has their own experience with that. And so um, it's been a really great piece because we have students that come in identifying I'm not a writer or I'm not good at English or some that I'm excellent at writing I'm excellent at English and by the end of it everyone knows that they have stories that they're experts in telling those stories and most of the students walk out knowing they actually are a writer um, and exceed excel at communication so you come from a long line of foodies and like um, food is a love language in your family, and um, I would love to hear a little bit about your own relationship with food and your own um, or how food has contributed to the relationships um, or experiences in your family. So we um, we gather regularly to eat together. Um, it's a spiritual practice in some ways. We, I mean, we functionally eat. This morning I was getting kids out the door and we were functionally eating, so I will throw that out there. Functional um, eating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, but we do, uh, we enjoy making food together. Um, there is um, a beauty of being in the kitchen and using our hands together, um, shopping together. We, um, and those all smell, sound like small moments, but it's the connection point. Right. Um, and then the common experience of um, sitting down and tasting something together, whether it's something we've tasted a hundred times and it brings us back to a place of the known and comfort, or whether it's a um, let's experience this new world together with our taste buds. And um, and I just, uh, it's, it's a core of everything that we do. Um, we have Sunday meals with the whole family usually, um, and that's a point that is, um, even when the world feels shaky and unsure, we come together and we do that. Um, and so for me, that's how it works in our family. Um, and then we love with food. We, uh, I, when, you know, someone's having a rough time or if they're having a happy time, we bring food to celebrate <laughs> or we bring food to comfort. And, um, and I think that's not uncommon, but it's, it's very core through all of our systems in our family. And that brings up this um, thinking of well-being, you know, something mm -hmm. that you, your family is practicing well-being through food. And then we think about our students and you can take that, you know, family practice and then move that into your classroom and model that for the for the girls. But we know that not all students, you know, some students have different relationships with eating. It can be difficult. It can be um, a place of a little bit of anxiety. So how do you have you seen that come up in the classroom at all? Or So it does. And we um, it, it would be, I think, irresponsible on my part to not call it out explicitly. Um, I am an advocate for um, addressing mental health issues. Uh, wellness is part of that. But on the flip side, um, some some of our students have, um, you know, a difficult relationship with food. And that can range from um, kind of trying to navigate food systems today all the way to truly um, diagnosable disordered eating, um, which is common across our society right now. And anyone that is picking up papers is seeing that um, blossom. Uh, we... Um, address it. We see it in Crying H Mart. There's a emerging eating disorder and we, it's subtle, it's nuanced. We call it out explicitly. We mm -hmm. say, you know, if we see this, what do we do with this? How, and not in a, um, holding it over their way, but how do we embrace that and work through that, um, and acknowledge it. And, um, 
last year it was really interesting because we have an independent study at the end and one of our students who had um, it has a eating disorder and it was managing it beautifully um, had been treated for it uh, did uh, her independent study on um, the absence of food what does that look like what is that problematic relationship and it, I think it ended up being a profound moment um, certainly uh, for our class to share with her um, there was an awareness that was brought with that um, but then also I think for that student it was nice that was not something she had initially planned on approaching in our class but um, it felt like a place where that was approachable so so the class is kind of offering opportunities for the girls to explore that mental health angle. It's mm -hmm. really beautiful. In the blog post, you mentioned <clears throat> you're gearing up for this Thanksgiving feast, which I think is, you know, great. Um, but I did take pause <laughs> when I was reading when you said that, you know, everyone was going to have tofurkey. And I was I I wanted to just ask. It seems random, but I wanted to ask like why tofurkey for the foodie lit feast of Thanksgiving and not an actual turkey. Um, so I know our listeners can't uh, see your face right now, but the expression <laughs> that you just made uh, mirrors a lot of what the students. Whereas tell I'm them getting excited. <laughs> I want the tofurkey. So the tofurkey is a very intentional choice. Uh, we are having our Thanksgiving um, feast uh, today in class, and I've been up since four something working on tofurkeys um but we uh <laughs> tofurkeys we, plural yes, yes. Tofurkeys. <laughs> yes. Um, but the reason that we're choosing it most of our students will probably likely next week go home and have a uh, turkey at the on their table um tofurkey is something different for them to taste which i like them to have that experience it makes it we we will do this tasting academically as we've done our other tastings and there will be community and sitting around the table and visiting but we also that part we will do academically so can we pause for a second and just touch on what tasting academically really means? So um, that is a good question. Um, my uh, class, um, they, they probably have different opinions on how it affects things. But basically, we stop. Um, it's almost it borderlines uh, with mindfulness um, eating. Uh, but it in an academic tasting, we have a list of questions, the things that we do before we taste, how we prepare our bodies, how we prepare our mindset, um, feeling the space around you, feeling what the temperature is, noticing setting. And then um, it's a list of guided questions as you go through the tasting and then a list of um, tasks to notice as you're going through it. And we have the girls writing the entire time as they're going through this experience to capture that moment um, so that their memories don't rewrite what they're experiencing. And this feels like something we could all do as adults as well. It's, it's something that applies beyond the classroom. It, it is. And Mindful ask, eating. Asking the girls uh, um, after their first one, because they, they are excited to taste it and there's this anticipation, um, and asking the girls afterwards, how did that go for you? They pause and they say, well, I've never eaten like that before, or um, that tastes different, even if it's a food that they've had before. Um, and, and the blog post I mentioned, uh, our first tasting is vanilla ice cream, which everyone has had before. Right. Um, but it's to get that framework of how do we academically taste versus not, and then we launch into foods that they may not be as familiar with, but we have to get the framework of how do we academically taste. I don't tell the students this now, but on the back end of this also, when we do Michael Pollan, uh, the Omnivore's Dilemma Unit, this is a really nice reference point for them when we talk about what is food, where does food come from, how do we make food choices, um, and that there are trade-offs to everything. And so the tofurkey, um, it's a chance to expose them to something new. It's fun. Um, it gets people giggling sometimes. Uh, but then also on the back end, um, how do we approach food? And what did turkeys ever do to us? Why turkeys? <laughs> Oh my God. Why turkeys? Why the mass massacre of turkeys at Thanksgiving? 
yes. So, will there be a tofurkey on the Mayerson Thanksgiving table? Or what, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to indulging in next week? So, as you can imagine, at what our family does host and has for years. Um, we And it's always the more the merrier uh, at our Thanksgiving table. So, with that, um, we, we have people from um, all around come over. And um, we will have both a tofurkey and a turkey. We have a full range of people in our family from very... Um, rigid vegetarians to people who don't think a Thanksgiving would be a Thanksgiving without a actual turkey. Um, and uh, we all have our traditional dishes. We have warring cranberry uh, sauces. Do you guys stuff the turkey with stuffing? Is, um, that, is that, that done at the Mayerson house? So that is we. That is also an um, interesting point similar to the cranberry sauces. Um, we will have a stuffing a turkey stuffed with stuffing, and then there will also be oyster dressing. Um, I love oyster we, dressing. So and um, I have that. This and there is much discussion. Um, we have folks that come from different regions, and for our listeners out there, uh, if you ever want to get into a hot foodie debate, bring up <laughs> stuffing versus dressing and regional <laughs> stuffing versus dressing. Yes, um, it gets to the core of how much food affects culture. So, yeah. so interesting because we call it dressing but it's stuffed in the bird in my family and all of those little tendrils they show <laughs> your family stuffing. they show yeah. where you're but from. you don't put it in the bird my mom does but i that scares me oh see i put it i stuff it in the bird but we call yeah. it dressing mm-hmm. it's funny so, but we th- this I, is this is, I'm this, down is with both. this is identity, right? Yeah. These, yeah, these come from places. These come from family roots. These come from family. Oyster dressing feels um, very southern to me. It it is a southern uh, traditionally yeah. coastal. Um, so New Orleans. We we'll have to try to make. Maybe we should try it to make it for Thanksgiving. Well, we hope you have a beautiful holiday season. Thanks Thank for sharing for with us, Liesl. Thank you so, so much. sweet. And I hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving. Thank yeah. you. And thank you listeners for hanging out with us this week. I hope you're leaving this conversation inspired by all the delicious food in your future. If you're ready to dive into Foodie Lit, we've shared the full list of books Liesl uses in the classroom on our blog, hervoiceatthetable.com. There's a link to the book list in our show notes, as well as to Liesl's blog post, which inspired this conversation. And here's to a very happy Thanksgiving from our table to yours. Our co-hosts are Megan Griffin, Kate Shank, and Jessica Bailey. Our producer is Caitlin Rathy. For more information about us, check out the blog, Her Voice at the Table. You can find the link in our show notes. It sounds terrifying. Why would you put an oyster in a stuffing? Because it's delicious. I don't know if I believe. The salt? (laughs)